Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Oddcast, the podcast, or World Empowered Dialogues. Uh, here at a World Empowered, we have a philanthropic vision. We have a vision of the world where all women, men, and children are empowered. Empowered to speak their truth, empowered to be themselves, empowered to provide for their needs and protect and heal the environment. Every week we bring, bring in inspiring guests and thought leaders, founders of nonprofits around the globe, uh, to share a message of hope and to inoculate people with the belief that they can make a difference. To share their struggles of, their stories of struggle and trauma and where they've come from and what they've decided to create and contribute to the world. <laughs> We're adults here having adult conversations, so often there's adult language involved, but we want to thank you for being a part of this and for sharing the message and for tuning in. So get ready for another inspiring conversation with another thought, light, thought leader and get ready to get odd. Well, welcome to another episode of Oddcast the Podcast, a World Empowered Dialogues. Uh, we're here to share a message that will uplift, inspi inspire, and empower people, um, sharing stories and conversations of NPO founders to help bring people closer to together and inspire and empower change. Today, we're going to be talking with Rachel Kelly, who's the founder of Good Bridge Community. How are you this morning, Rachel? I'm great, guys. How are you all? We're doing great. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And where are you today? I am in Summit County, Colorado. And the weather there is? Absolutely gorgeous. It's around, I think, 65, 70, depends on if you're under a tree or in the sun. <laughs> right. Sounds similar to Fort Collins. How are the leaves beginning to change there? A little bit, yeah. We've got our aspens shining their bright, beautiful, um, light yellow colors and ruby red oranges and a little bit of red shining through. Mm, that sounds pretty. Very pretty. Yeah. Well, I would like you, if you don't mind, to begin with, with a little bit of your story, you know, where you came from. I would like like the audience to get to know you as a person and if you would share a little bit about you know where you came from what it was like growing up and what led you to where you are today I'm sure that all of us would be fascinated yeah I'd love to um share um a little bit about myself um born and raised in Cincinnati Ohio um and I always say slash Kentucky because it's really just a river that divides us and mm. culturally we're very intertwined um so I was born and raised there, and <clears throat> I was born in 1975 by a, a young lady that was 15 years old, and um, her parents, um, back in those days, it wasn't all that popular to be that pregnant when you're that young, and still now those days, it's not that popular, um, but her parents weren't accepting of that situation that um, came about her, so they kicked her out, and um, she moved from different foster homes with me. She was very dedicated to me. I read a letter um, that my adopted mother gave to me um, years later that she had written to me. So my biological's mother name was Jenny, and um, she had aspirations to go to college and be a very good mother. Um, but unfortunately, two years um, after I was um, born, she had passed away. Um, unfortunately, I guess in some ways, um, for me, I was adopted into a very loving family that, um, afforded me a lot of benefits in life. Um, 
amazing parents. Um, I was born with dyslexia and ADD and pretty bad. Um, I had to have eye surgery where my right eye had uh, bad muscles. So um, it really held me back in reading because only one of my eyes was straightforward and the other one was um, to the side. But um, my parents um, put me through surgeries to correct that, put me through eye therapy, tutoring, um, really supported um, the way um, I was raised in not just my learning differences, but um, just me as a, as a person and, and had a lot of love there. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so they adopted me and, um, you know, really gave me a lot of benefits of life. Um, went through high school, my, um, by, uh, my uh, adopted father passed away when I was a junior. And um, so that changed our family dynamics quite a bit. Um, my mom held on to the house um, until I graduated, I think, just to not have too much change in my life and keep that stability um, for my growth process, process when I was young. Sure. Um, and then a year after I graduated, we moved into a smaller home that we could function and better economically. And I went to college two years later, um, decided to go to California. I was, have always been very artsy, very creative. Um, and I decided to go to fashion school and I really wanted to go to one of the top notch schools and learn from the top notch people. And there were really only two choices, either New York or California and really wasn't a New York vibe person, but definitely more of a California vibe person. So I chose California and went to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles. Um, graduated with uh, really excellent grades, sometimes 4.0s, and um, had an internship with Richard Tyler um, Taylor and um, really stayed in my industry for about 20 years out there doing pattern making, designing, wardrobe on set. Um, and after, you know, quite some time with that experience, I wasn't really fulfilled and had decided that it was time to move home back to Cincinnati and kind of just regroup and see where I wanted to go in life in the future and what I really wanted to invest in um, my passions and energy and where that should go. Um, so I moved back to Cincinnati and took about seven years of trying to figure that out, still with no very good answer. Um, and I had a very dear friend pass away and, um, that changed my perception. And, um, I decided through, uh, another friend's motivation to move to Summit County. Nice. Yeah. The loss of a loved one, the realization of our own mortality really puts a lot of things in perspective, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, I've had, we were a rowdy group in high school, so we have quite, um, a good experience with death. Uh, We have a lot of friends upstairs. So um, what I've learned through my life is it's also really depends on how, how their life was taken. Um, That makes an emotional difference for me. Really? Why would you say that is? Um, So I've had about eight friends pass away from drug overdoses. And that feeling is very different than having somebody um, be murdered or, um, or a, a car accident. Yes. Yeah. Like a, a car accident. I would assume that, um, you know, just different ways of people's lives being taken are, you know, different processes of emotion. And, um, for me, I've experienced at least two different kinds and, and, um, 
just the situations themselves are different, but the emotions I've gone through are tremendously different. So I don't want to digress too far down this path, but why would you say that is that somebody who passes from an overdose versus somebody that dies in an accident or at the hands of someone else has such a, a vastly different impact on your emotions as a survivor? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> and I would think um, the first thing that comes to my mind is overdose is on some level a choice, a self-choice. Um, right. Having somebody's life taken away from somebody else's decision and motivation obviously is not a self-choice. And then the way that that is done um, and how you can imagine what your deep um, – your, your friends and you have these deep emotions for them, what they have gone through, through that experience um, is just an, a different emotional journey for me. So I think it, it narrows down to, to just sum it up. It's about um, was this this person's choice or was it not? As a survivor, do you think that has to do with, with whom you place blame? Um. Like it's easy to blame the driver of the drunk, the, the drunk driver of the other vehicle that took a friend's life or um, whoever perpetrated a murder or whatever. To, it's easy to place blame on them and put your anger on them. And if a person takes their own life, either through suicide or an right. overdose, then it's really hard to blame somebody that you love. So it has a different emotional impact. Does it, do you think it has something to do with where blame is placed? You have really good questions. Um, I this think is all probably... off the cuff, too. I didn't. I'm sorry to throw you under. Yeah, the... no, that's okay. Um, I love good questions. Um, I actually still, I think I'm trying to figure that out within myself. Um, I'm, I, I don't have a lot of anger for any of the deaths that I have um, witnessed um, through my life, I guess. Um, I am emotionally upset and sad and tremendously miss these valuable people that shared their light and their beauty in this world with the people that they love and the people that surrounded them. But I, even the person that, um, is in jail for, uh, a horrendous murder, I don't actually have a violent, angry emotion towards him. I, I am more curious about his past and how he was raised and what led him to this life and those decisions. I am more curious about his background and, hmm. and the, the people in his life that led him to be this type of person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I once wrote that not all people who are hurting hurt people, but all people who hurt people are hurting it takes yeah. somebody that's significantly damaged and in a lot of pain to cause that amount of pain to somebody else. Yeah, no, I, I find that very true. Um, a few, a little earlier, Rachel, you had said that um, those experiences had changed your perceptions, had made it, had made a big impact and influence on your life. Would, would you share a little bit about how, what changed? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I guess, you know, it's, it's, so it's been throughout my life that I've had, you know, deaths like this and me and my friends have had to deal with um, people making choices in their own life's bad decisions that, you know, um, drug overdoses. So in that retrospect, um, it just changed me and how I care about myself. 
um, I think um, through every experience um, that we went to funerals and and honored the people that we had loved that had been with us, I, I just value life more and value um, the gift that was given to me. And then when it came to about three to four years ago, when one of my dearest, most beautiful friends' um, life was taken with his wife and their unborn child, um, that was very different. Um, and I think that changed me for the simple fact that uh, really we hear the words every day, you know, um, enjoy every day. It's a present. It can be taken mm -hmm. away at any moment. A bus can run you over. We hear all these chimes um, throughout our daily lives of, you know, um, life is a precious gift and, and don't ignore that. But this event that happened to my, my dear friends, um, my dear friend and his family, um, that changed me in the sense of, wow, like those things that we hear throughout our whole life, this is, this is real. This is not just the bus. This is the neighbor next door making bad choices. Um, this is around every corner. And I am 44 years old and this is what I've experienced so far. What do I really want? And what were we put here on earth to truly do? And I want to find that out. I want to find out and um, I want to honor the life that I have been gifted. And to me, that means going out there, experiencing the richness of all the the earth has to offer mother nature, our, our cultures, um, art, um, everything that makes the world go round. I want to experience it. I want to honor it. I want to participate in it. And, um, I want to go with, with the beat that was given to me and pay attention to that. Hmm, that's beautiful. It sounds like in your earlier life, a lot of your drive and motivation was to satisfy or pacify ego as though striving to be a top end designer in LA in the clothing industry and in the apparel industry. Um, a little bit like you wanted to be famous and it seems like this experience shifted your perspective to your life's purpose. Um, well, if I go, if I go back, um, I always liked the back end of production. So that's why I went into pattern making. Um, I thought going into college, I wanted to be a designer um, because ultimately, actually, it, it started because I'm, I'm a very tiny girl. And even in elementary school and high school, I couldn't find clothes that fit me right. And it was really frustrating. Um, so that was my motivation of going into fashion school because I literally just didn't like what I bought and I wanted to be able to bring what's in my mind and how I knew what, how I would dress myself into reality. Um, then when I got to college, I realized, oh, I, I, the design part to me was very easy. The pattern making part was very challenging and very interesting and it changed the way I thought. Um, I think it literally changed the way my neurons connected in my brain and communicated with each other. So mm. when I graduated college, I, um, I was really more of a hands-on person. I liked being the person behind the scenes and getting into the details of things. Um, so I'm not quite sure, uh, how to 
view that from where you're coming from, but I know that was my process and experience of, of the fashion world. Um, I never had a yearning to be famous. I think if, if I did, it would probably be in acting or something. Um, <laughs> but as far as fashion design, it was just um, the art, the art part of it and the concept part and in making understanding how a sleeve fits into an armhole and if you want that sleeve to hang a certain way with a certain fabric how does that work and how how do you alter that pattern in a certain way from chiffon to a thick woven and still drape the way that it drapes in your mind and how do you translate that into fabrication that was the interesting parts to me um when you're sharing that too i just keep thinking about when you shared your personal story about how you're a small person and thinking about clothes and struggling to find things that fit. I, I get a sense that you, you will take challenges that you feel or experience and then look for ways to be creative or to kind of be out of the box and how to bring that forward to, to influence other people as well when you've seen these things are impacting you. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, I think probably everybody experiences that. We we see something we don't like and we want to change it. Um, I think some people just have more of a motivation for certain reasons to maybe pursue that more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Taking the action, the step. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind of brings us to where you are now. I think that's a really good transition into you sharing what you've created there in Summit County. Um, share a little bit of your background, what happened to you when you moved to Summit County and what it is, the organization that you've created there because of your experience. Definitely. Um, so I moved to Summit County this November will be my third year. Um, and so, yeah, so it's been four years. So. Four years ago is when um, the dear friend of mine and his family were taken from us. And I have um, a high school friend that lived in Summit County. Um, grew up with her in Cincinnati, Ohio. We went to the same high school. Um, very dear friends. She actually moved out to Los Angeles with me for six months and lived with me there. And um, when we were younger, she was trying to fulfill her dreams. And uh, she knew um, my friend that had... Um, that is upstairs now and knew how hard that was and, you know, dropped everything, went to the funeral with me. And over the next year was really talking me into moving to Summit County. She said, Rachel, I know that you don't like Cincinnati. You're never going to be happy there. Um, you've given a really good shot. Seven years is a good shot. You need to make a decision. And I think that you should move to Summit County because I think you'll love it. And after a year, I mean, we really went into details of discussing what that would look like. Um, and we made a, an agreement that I could stay with them for three to four months to get me, you know, situated. Um, so I pulled the trigger and I, and I and I did it. I got rid of half of my stuff back in Cincinnati, wrapped up everything, got in a U-Haul, came to Summit County, knocked on my homegirl's front door <laughs> and um, said, OK, here we go. Wow. <laughs> and. So I stayed with them for a little bit, but they have a very small place and they have two kids. Um, so it was really hard for them to squeeze me in their life, which was totally understandable. 
Um, so the best decision went there was for me to, you know, move on, but I wasn't financially ready yet. When I moved to Summit County, I didn't really realize the particular, uh, challenges that this community, um, holds. Um, Hmm. it's been a big wake up call to me. Um, and quite honestly, it's a very unique community. Um, and I have traveled the United States, so I feel confident in saying that I have some experience in relativity and comparing different locations. And this, uh, um, community definitely, um, it has its special specialness to it. So, um, I didn't specialness. I like it. Has its specialness (laughs) to it. So I wasn't. I wasn't aware of those components and what that would look like um, when they would be inserted into my life. And so I wasn't ready. Um, So I had to make the decision. I moved into my car. I took out my passenger seat. I made a bed. Wow. Um, Because I knew if you don't sleep, you that's the quickest way to crazy. (laughs) That's for sure. So true. So um, and and not eating like there's certain things that people just. Yes, there's a real thing to basic needs. Sleeping and, and food, definitely one of them. Um, temperature and climate, another, um, you know, weather and so on and so forth. But Yeah, we completely uh, undervalue the impact of nutrition and rest on our mental health. That's for sure. Oh, my gosh. So important. Yeah, really, really important. Um, I, I Literally, me and my friend just went out um, a couple nights ago and had a really nice meal. And we had a cobbler, uh, a berry cobbler pie with vanilla ice cream. And I hadn't mm. been that satisfied in so long. <laughs> I just, I was in heaven. That I just sounds sat- really good. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, but um, just going back to that. Um, so I made the decision because I really wanted to keep our friendship and I wanted to, you know, keep it healthy and and. I, I knew I wasn't ready. I couldn't, I didn't have enough savings. It, it took me a lot of savings to move out here. So, um, that's, that was the only thing is I saw as an option. And so I did that. And then three, three, that July, I think it was three or four months later, I broke my wrist. Oh, and oh. That was the big damper. I literally thought, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll make this decision. Oh, six months, I should be on my feet, you know, um, find a, a job that actually can financially support me here. You know, I'm, I'm talented. I'm nice. I've got a bubbly attitude. It shouldn't be hard. I made it in LA for 20 years. This yep. should be fine. Yep. No. <laughs> let me no. Let me clarify the timeline. So you were living with your friend and then because of the cramped environment, you decided to move out and you didn't have a place to go. So you thought you'd just stay in your car for a little bit. And then three months after being relegated to living in your car, you broke your wrist. Yes. Yeah. How did um, you do that? Just out of curiosity, I've broken it, 13 bones. So I'm always, interested it is, here. it is not, it's my first bone. And I will say, I, I, I would like to check that off the list and not revisit it. Oh, been there, done that, done. Right, exactly. What did you do? Were you snowboarding? Were you walking down the street? What happened? So not a great story. (laughs) I wish it was snowboarding, Um, but it wasn't. It was um, in July, and um, one of our local retail uh, spaces opened up a bar in combination, and they had this beautiful outdoor space in the back where they would have bands and so on, and they had their grand opening. So me and my friend went. And they had this game in the back 
And, you know, games are fun. So I signed up to do the game. <laughs> Until you break something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. Um, so watch watch out. Don't don't play this game specifically. Um, and if you do play it when you're sober. Um, but I had a couple beers and it's a I don't even know if there's a name to it. So I'll have to describe it. Um, so bear with me here, please. Um, but there's three rocks that you stand on and just about as big that your feet fit on it. No, no wider. The platform really do, only holds two feet. And then the, your, your opponent stands on three rocks that are just about, you know, co only covers feet. And then you have a jumping rope and you're <laughs> oh. basically playing tug of war, but it's very strategic because you can't, you're, it, it can't be fast because you, the whole point of it is for you to stay on your rocks as long or just longer than your opponent. Right. And you pull your opponent off. Oh, okay. Well, me and my other friend were out the night before having dinner and we met this whole group of bachelor boys from New York <laughs> and they were at the bar and the bachelor boy, um, one of the bachelor boys, um, from a bachelor party, um, came up and he had his slick New York shoes on and I was, and he was kicking everybody's butt. And I was like, he kicked my butt three times. And I was like, he is not getting me this time. <laughs> so I literally, I knew I was falling, but I saw he was falling too. So it's just like a second or two of like, what, what, what? I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hang on longer than you. Yeah. And that's exactly what I, I kept my feet on and I allowed myself to fall, but I started pulling harder, harder to get him off first before I hit the ground. Oh. And then as soon as I saw him put his foot on the ground, I let go and reached back to catch myself. Oh. And snap a Rooney there. It, went. it was, yeah. Ouch. My wrist became a big S. That's hilarious. <laughs> Game over. Did you yes. win or lose? Yeah, I won. Oh, <laughs> but, but not really. Not, not technically. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, got an Uber to the hospital and had about a $5,000 bill mm. after that. And it, you know, the thing was, is I didn't even have surgery. I literally, it was a cast and x-rays and, a $5,000 bill. And that was already cut in half on the hospital end because I didn't have insurance. So, um, you know, just to dive into the reason, one of the reasons why Goodbridge exists, um, you know, healthcare bills in the healthcare industry is one of the variables that um, increase the population that I am advocating for. Right. Yeah. And that can happen to anybody at any time. And we don't really realize we think that, well, if I get cancer, then maybe I might end up homeless. But something as simple as a $5,000 bill can really take a lot of families out in this day and age where finances are so tight. Well, and the cost of living is so high. No, most people so are living factors. paycheck to paycheck. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We live in a world that is paycheck to paycheck. And um, when I do my talks out in the community with um, different groups, I, I have a chart that actually shows all the concentrated variables that um, allow this population to, um, to, to grow. Um, and one of them is, you know, the, just the economic variables. So globalization, the NAFTA agreement, the fast track, the loss of unions, um, uh, weather global weather changing patterns you know aka um uh, uh climate change thank you yes i just <laughs> drew a blank there um 
But all these things, the discussion has changed, the subject has changed, the variables has changed, but the stigma has not. Yeah, wow. Can I ask you a question that I'm sure a lot of listeners are thinking right now? And I don't mean to sound snarky or condescending, so please don't take it this way, but you have a job and you have a car. Why did you choose to live that way? Why not pack up and move or go to a, a larger city and some place that you can get a job or a cheaper housing or right. something like that? Like why choose to stay there and live in your vehicle, especially for this duration of time? Right. No, it's a great question. It's a question that many people have in their heads. Um, many question um, people don't ask. Um, and quite honestly, I still ask myself that question. It's a reoccurring <laughs> question to myself. Why am um, I here? <laughs> yeah, what am I doing? Um, the only answer that I have um, is, I guess, a couple. Um, and I'll start with, I've always been very stubborn. Um, so I think that has a part of it. And then uh, the second one is that this happened to me here. Nowhere else. This is it. This is the community that this happened to me. Okay. So and it why goes, stay there? It, why it, not well, come down to Fort Collins or go to Denver? Um, I'm very spiritual. I'm not religion, uh, religious. So when, when I... When I revert back to that thought process of what am I doing? Why am I here? Why don't I just move on? Why don't I go back to Los Angeles where I know I can still get a better job or, or a job that could pay the bills? Um, I think two things go through my head. Um, number one, I'm very aware that this is a national problem. So I'm actually not certain if I did move somewhere else, unless it was Idaho, um, <laughs> that this problem would go away. Yeah. Um, and then number two, I always, going back to my spirituality, I always believe that everything happens for a reason and you should participate in it. And it's going back to my promise. So every time somebody passes away in my life, I make a promise. And my promise to um, Joseph was to love and experience the gift of life that was blessed to me in its most powerful way, to participate. That's a beautiful. With point. what was given to me. And I, I think there's a combination of like, I don't, I'm not sure if I did go somewhere else, this would go away. And then on the second hand, I'm not sure that I would be happy with myself of not trying to do something with an opportunity that was obviously put in my life. Right. So what is, what is the biggest thing keeping you in your vehicle? Um, I cost, still the only cost make, of housing is too, yeah, too high out it's, there. It's insane. So HUD has studies that poverty rises if, uh, a, if a single person or a family unit um, pays more than 25% of their monthly income on housing. Through the research yeah. that I've just read over the past couple of years, really trying to dive into to understanding the meat and bones of, of this conversation, um, I really want to stick to that because I actually experienced that um, through my life is when I have personally paid over 25% of my income, it stresses out absolutely every other thing in my life. And I don't get the quality of life that I know that we all deserve. So I really am stubborn about, I am not, and I got to tell you, I, I, you know, I struggle with this, but I think deep down, I'm very committed to, I am not going to pay more than 
at least 30% of my monthly income on housing. Um, we need to fight for that to be a reachable goal in every community. If we are not going to change our pay rates to the people that are supplying the um, duties of our community to allow the community to thrive and be the community that you love to live in, if we aren't respecting the whole population in our community that is providing services on any level, on a, on a living wage, and I know that is a, a coined term now that is almost has a blank definition, but if you really think about those two words, living, truly living wage, I, I don't see with globalization that changing. But what I do see is the opportunity to switch gears in our mind and design backwards. So instead of designing a culture where we say, well, we really, this is how, this is what we want you all to live in. And this is what we want. Um, and this is the price point. So figure it out, get there. I'm saying we should design and say, this is how we have our community. This is our lowest wage. We need to design so that person that has the lowest wage can afford a life. Sort of reverse engineering it. Yes. I like that. I don't, so I mean. Tell us exactly what Goodbridge is now. So when did you establish it? And I think we have a pretty good sense right now of why you established it. So. When did you establish Goodbridge and what is its function? I established Goodbridge um, over the time I, I broke my wrist because I knew I wasn't going to I knew I was going to be in there more than six months. And I think I did it on a survival mode. Um, I think I it gave me hope like that I've, necessity mm -hmm. is the mother of invention type of yeah. thing. Yeah, but pretty much. Yeah, straight straight down to it. Um, I remember parking in a specific parking lot and there is another gentleman that uh, lived in his vehicle, a red truck. His name is Slim. I love him dearly. Um, a very unique individual himself. And I remember passing to him my ideas through the window in the wintertime and be like, hey, what do you what do you think about this sketch? Um, do you think that could work or? And we just sit there and talk about like, you know, people in our position and and what could help them. Um, so it really started with that. I think it just started from hope. If, if I can use my creativity, at least I'm not being depressed and I'm not becoming the victim. And I'm it is that self psychological self survival mode. Um, and then I think it just developed into, ah, well, these are actually pretty good ideas. Maybe I should try to do something with them. But um, I didn't really have the um, tools to do that. I mean, my background was all very uh, different skill set than what I would need to pursue um, these ideas. So I, I was in Starbucks one day because I love my, my chai lattes. And um, uh, every so often I, I'll have one for myself. And there was a flyer on their community uh, board post. And it said F uh, Family Leadership Training Institute program is being offered in Summit County and it had a small description. And there is just this big emotion of that's for me. That's, that's where I'm meant to be. You yes, want to hear that... something funny? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Yes. Because Becca told me. Go ahead. Yeah. So I took FLTI. I was a graduate of, of the 2018 class and then I was a facilitator of FLTI in the youth program last year 
And that's actually where I met Becca and she now serves on my board of directors. She was my facilitator when I was in the class. And then one of my classmates, Alex, who's currently in Kenya, um, also serves on my board of directors, was a graduate in my class of FLTI. So <laughs> shout out to FLTI. That, yeah, that's right. Telling Rachel, we're all alums now. We're all part that, of the FLTI alumni. That <laughs> would, that blew me away when um when me and Becca discovered that. I I it it took me about a day to process that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, this there's magic in the air. Um, so anyway, an getting back program. on track, you you saw this poster in Starbucks for an FLTI, which is Family Leadership Training Institute, and your heart just leapt and said, "Yep, that's where I'm meant to be." And then what? <laughs> so I um, called, I said, how do I sign up for the class? How do I participate? What do I need to do? And they were like, sorry, it's already a month in. We're oh. really serious about this curriculum. You're going to have to wait. And I said, okay, well, well, when do you offer it again? And they were like, we only offer it once a year and we may not have it next year. And I said, oh, well, that's just not, I can't, that there has to be another answer. So um, I said, <laughs> is there like, do you have it anywhere else? Like are there, are there locations? And they said, yeah, they have one in um, actually coming up in Leadville. And I thought, well, Leadville is only an hour drive. That is totally, it's, it's a one, it's a one day a week commitment. I said, I can make that work. So oh I called them. Um, I talked to Carla Adler and uh, another amazing spirit out there and um, had an interview with her, talked to her about my um, passions that I wanted to pursue through the curriculum that they were providing. And um, I participated, I graduated. Um, and within that um, program, just to explain to people, you have to have a community project. And right. my community mm -hmm. project was Goodbridge and what, what we call the local overnight safety parking permit. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, how did you come up with the three pillars for Goodbridge? Okay. So. Where did that come from? Yeah. So really the. Um, so it started from the logo, just bridge, right? So. Mm -hmm. um, people associate bridges with homeless people because homeless people sleep under them. And they also associate bridges with how to get from one side to another. Right. So it made sense to me. Um, it, it made sense to let's get the people on one. And, and, and I guess I should say this in addition is when you look at this population, the stigma and the um, content attached to the conversation of this population, it really um, shows you that we are truly divided in our opinions when we, when we look and judge these people. So that also represented the two sides of the bridge to me. And I really wanted to use that logo of a bridge to bridge the gap of economic struggle, to bridge the understanding of people's differences, economic differences in life. Um, that bridge itself is so strong in its simplicity that I thought it was just simply powerful and I wanted to utilize it. Um, and then the pillars themselves, they came because when you look at a bridge, it has pillars. It, it holds the bridge up. And there's three concepts that I think that you need in order to create change. And they're, I guess, stepping the, the cornerstones, I suppose, is, a, is another way to view the pillars. The foundation. Um, the yeah. The, the pillars hold up the bridge to allow it to be a bridge. Um, without the pillars, you know, you. It, 
it just collapses. Yeah, it's not it's not going to be a bridge for that long. <laughs> um, so pillar one is all about ground level work, getting in with that population, talking with them, getting close, being a part of them. Pillar two is is getting close to the other population, the people in the community that that aren't struggling economically, but they have the um, understanding and compassion for this population, um, but may not know it at times. Um, but to to create uh, community projects that are actionable. So the local overnight safety parking permit. So partnering with different organizations and different individuals to make action happen. That's pillar two. And then pillar three is just a general awareness to bring awareness to the community. Um, so those are the three pillars. And I think you need all three to, to be successful to be successful in creating change. Yeah, it's just, it sounds very relevant and um, just very purposeful as a way to help guide people to see what they can be doing and, and to bring everybody together, not, recognizing everybody is part of the community. And I was, I was curious about the local overnight safety parking permit. Um, how's that been going? Oh, okay. So it's, I'm really excited because um, it's getting, it's getting a lot of. Maybe explain it, a little bit what exactly what it is too, because you've got, it's, I, I really like the way it's the, when I was reading about it, the parking lot is a community in and of itself and it's bringing people to where they're connected to the, the community of the town as well and access to um, locations and places to be able, you know, to be able to go is in, in reach. Um, but also there's certain guidelines, um, yeah. people that are there and being in community. Mm -hmm. um, no, that sounds very accurate. Um, we have, so our community supporters, um, we've been working on this project or at least um, me for at least two and a half years. And then as it's grown, we've, um, you know, partnered with other people. So at this point in time, there's multiple people involved that are very passionate about the progress of it. But to explain the local overnight safety parking permit, it's a resource for working homeless people. If you're working in your community, there there is absolutely no reason why you should not have support. Um, right. So um, to try to keep it simple, um, if you're working in the community, um, you should be able to provide wh where you work, if part-time, full-time, the reasons of that, if it is part-time. But this local overnight safety parking permit provides you a safe, legal place to stay at night. If you are working and you cannot afford to live in the community that you are working in, you should still be supported. You are providing for your community. Um, so this really provides you will not get bothered, woken up, hassled, harassed, pushed onto another space in the middle of the night, which yeah. is what happens often. Yeah. Not I was going to ask what, what are the consequences in the, in the absence of something like this, what normally tends to happen to people who are living in their vehicles? So, um, you will get woken up in the middle of the night by a police uh, officer or a forest ranger, bright lights. It, it, you know, it spooks you, you get used to it, but it doesn't matter. It still spooks you. Yeah. Um, it's like someone walking up to your bed in the middle of the night with a flashlight. It, right. It's, it's not something that's, you know, normal. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's startling. Yeah, definitely startling. Okay. Um, they, 
will tell you to move on to another space. You ask them where they say, uh, I don't know, but just not here. So they don't really have any answers or any way to problem solve them, uh, this themselves. They just are, um, you know, they're directed by their leadership, um, to, you know, just, just get them out of that space. We've had a complaint, get them out of that space. doesn't matter. Um, and then we also are harassed. We can get fines. I have not been fined yet, but I've always been told next time I see you, I'm going to have to fine you. Um, so these are things we are just. How does that make sense? Exactly. That's actually Somebody what I'm going to move into. It's so little money that they're forced to live in their car and then they're going to get they're going to accrue fines for living in their car. It's like the bank saying, I'm sorry, you don't have enough money in your account. So we're going to, we're going to charge you $20. Right. Right. You have no money and we're going to take more. <laughs> it, right. Yeah. But you know, it's the world we live in. We really, yeah. we, for so long, if we look at history, that's kind of how we've developed the, the communities and cultures we lived in is okay. How can we deter people from doing something? And that's usually our comeback is like, let's just kind of like make it a pain in the butt for them. And hopefully they'll make different decisions. At least that's the way that it, uh, it seems on this and in, in, in this area. Um, but yeah, it doesn't actually help. It hurts and it, it inflames that situation even more. And it perpetuates um, the problem. Yeah. I've had, I mean, I've gotten pushed out so many times literally I've had, I've never had to buy this many tires in my whole life. Hmm. And it's because I'm pushed out to areas that are not paved, which, you know, is normal up here, but they're also just really rough on the tires. And, you know, it's not like they're maintained. So there's been stuff that got stuck in my tire and I've gotten a flat tire. And then I, wasn't able to make it to work the next morning and I wasn't in cell phone service to even call my boss to let him know. So wow. there's a lot of logistical variables that um, the way that they're proceeding and the reaction of uh, these types of situations aren't helpful at all. Mm -hmm. They literally are just um, piling on the problem and they create resentment and that creates even more of a separation of both those sides ever coming together. I was thinking about that, the energy, you know, the energy that's being transferred, you know, back and forth. Like when you woke up in the middle of the night and you're getting a negative um, interaction with, with law enforcement or forestry and, and also no answers about where to go, it creates a feeling of separateness. And it, oh, what yeah. you're doing now is the opposite. It's, it's a way of welcoming and saying, yes, there's a place for you in this community and we're working together. It's like, it's so much more than just having the um, local overnight safety parking. It's also sending a totally different energy, a totally different message. I'm wondering if, I mean, it's I'm, in reading about it, I'm thinking that it, it's a lot more inclusive and, and bringing people in instead of pushing people out. Does it, does it feel like that? Is that kind of what's been happening? Um, I, I believe so. And that's the way it was designed is to really, um, I guess going back to my childhood, being dyslexic, everybody always said it was like a, a learning disability. And that's why I've attached myself to saying learning difference. Mm -hmm. Because quite honestly, when you flip things, sometimes they just make more sense. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, when you flip the, the psychological barriers in our culturals and in our communities, <clears throat> it's just that easy. Like mm -hmm. uh, instead of pushing them away and creating that resistance, why don't we welcome them in and look at that cause and effect and that reaction, see how that naturally organically um, grows. Yeah. 
for sure. I love that the real only stipulation to getting the local area safety parking permit is having a job. Um, tell me something. Why should the quote unquote average citizen be concerned with this problem? Like how does the homeless population and people living in their vehicles affect the general population? Why should Joe Schmo living down the street making 75 K and having a decent job and house and wife and kids and that whole deal care mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. why this would affect them personally? Right. Well, I'll start. There's it's a not just an annoyance, right? It's not just an eyesore. It's not just an annoying inconvenience. It does have an impact on the general community. Why yeah. should everybody care? Yeah. Um, there, that's a really big discussion. Um, but two things that pop to the top of my head is number one, we're going to, I'm going to take you to Los Angeles real quick. If you know anything that's happening out there with their home, homeless epidemic, yeah. that's the worst case scenario. Um, so just on that bottom line, you should be, you should care because health issues and, and um, ec epidemics are sprouting out that doesn't matter. That germ does not know that you have a million dollars in your bank account or zero dollars in your bank account. Mm -hmm. You can, you can get sick. Um, and if you're not taking care of the whole community, things that are happening in Los Angeles can happen anywhere else as well. Yeah. Um, so it's a pebble in a pond. It's a ripple effect. Yeah. It definitely. affects all of us. It does. So what I'm hearing you say is that um, the homeless population affects the health the community health yes yeah, so if, if you study los angeles homeless epidemic right now um there's a lot of um what do they call it um i am losing my words right now but um what are you referring to i might be able to help the, uh diseases that we have not heard of in like a hundred years like just oh. things that are um popping back up um and i'm so sorry i can't think of any of any of them right now like um, smallpox smallpox yeah just polio. just polio just diseases that should not be in in the measles, 2019 mumps, rubella the whole mmr measles mumps rubella smallpox polio and they have a lot so uh, if, if you get into the los angeles conversation you'll just your mind will explode of how much is going out there with the health issues and the homeless population and if the homeless population um is in your community which every community has a percentage of homeless population right um it it will and it i should say it can affect you depending on the severity of it um so if you're not taking care of your whole community once again it will somehow trickle to you and i'm not going to say it's going to trickle up or it's going to trickle down i'm just going to say it's going to trickle to you um, and then the second thing that pops up in my head is literally comes from Summit County experiences um, as an assistant manager um, and trying to hire people here in the county um, for a job as a consumer um, in the community going out to dinner, buying things at Target, just like any other normal person, I experience customer service. And I can tell you the customer service up here in Summit County, because of its turnaround, because people can't afford it, and I guess they're less stubborn than me, and they'll say, well, I'm just going to go to Idaho, um, they, they leave. So we have a turnaround. So two things come to my head with that 
conversation specifically. As a job employer, you are not giving your customers the best experience that they deserve just through the hiring process of your people because they're not staying long enough to care about their jobs. So they're, excuse my language, but they're half-assing it. Mm-hmm. And then number two, because... They're not, they're not invested because they're not staying. Yeah. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. I, I mean, I'll go somewhere and I'll, I, and I'll wait 15 minutes to even get a hello. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's a different type of, um, uh, employing employer situation up here. And then at the same time, the employers really should be concerned about that because you're retraining people constantly. How profitable is that? Hmm. Yeah. It costs half as much to keep a, a good employee as it does to train a new one. Um, that's true. I mean, we can go deep into that conversation, but just the bottom line is it it's it's not it's not prosperous. Yeah, I'm having a difficult time drawing the correlation between the homeless problem and affecting the the businesses. Um, it's not due to your inability to explain it; just my inability to grasp it. Um, can you try to reframe it in a different way to help me understand? Yeah, how definitely. Living in their cars help. Yeah, definitely. So. We have a lot of people that come up here for Vail Resorts, um, and they have workforce housing, but they actually hire more people than they actually have housing for. So when they're promised a job and they move up here and mm. they find out they don't have housing, they now they have to go look to see if they can rent. And then they find out that they can't afford anything out there. So then they end up, well, I've got this job. I at least got to stay the season. I'll move in my car. And then after the season's done, I'm out of here. Oh, wow. Gotcha. A popular misconception when it comes to homeless is that it's all either drug abuse or mental health. Um, One of my best friends in the entire world is Elvis Summers. Shout out to Elvis. He started this, the Starting Human Project in Los Angeles, building tiny, tiny homes for the homeless population in Skid Row in Compton. Wow. Um, and every summer I go out there and I spend about a month working on, on tiny homes and, and going to deliver water and food and care packages and soap and stuff like that to the homeless people down there and uh, help reframe the perspective for the average citizen that has not been around that to understand that actually very few of the homeless are there because they want to, because they have a mental health issue and because of addiction. When you get on the ground level and you look in the person's eyes and you shake their hand or you give them a hug and you're out on the street and you're talking to them and you're getting to know them and you're um, growing bonds and learning the personal side of them, you quickly discover that it is, I'll, I guess I'll revert back to, to Jason Robert Owens, um, he's in jail for taking three beautiful people's lives away. Um, and you know, I I think what in his life happened to him to get him to this point to make those decisions? It's the same thing um, in a whole different realm, but with the homeless population, it's like what happened to that individual to to put them in this spot? Um, a lot of the times. So I'll focus on the drug thing because that is such a big stigma that is miscommunicated and, and, the, and the truth of it is not on, on the surface level yet. Um, 
I'll share with you uh, Lovely's story. Lovely is a young lady that lives in Los Angeles. Um, Just a bad um, family um, relationship. Um, And without diving too deep into the personal details there, she left, became homeless, um, and ended up getting sexually abused on the streets. Mm-hmm. Then she started doing coke and drugs so she wouldn't fall asleep at night to be safe. Right. So really when we look at the conversations, the traditional stigma, the new variables that um, we're trying to show people to really have that truth and understanding of this population, um, you, you can't be satisfied with the status quo answer. And if you want the truth, you're going to have to get in there and be curious. Yeah. One of the things that Elvis tries to use to educate people is that drugs are a symptom of a problem, not the cause of the problem. Yes. Yes. One of the things that he says is, look, buddy, you try to sleep on the hard concrete in a cold night for five nights in a row and Mm. not turn to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. You do that shit. You sleep on the concrete on a piece of cardboard under, under the stars, freezing your butt off and try to do that for five nights without turning to drugs and alcohol. Right. And, and it's like the drug and alcohol problem is a reflection of the problem, not the cause of it. Right. And you can go and it's, it's always the chicken or the egg or what was the seed. And so we can always go back deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like, okay, well, what got them to sleep on that, you know, cardboard box in the first place may a lot of women are abused by their husbands and they leave and they you know, end up homeless. So there's a lot, there's just a lot of details in the stories. And if you're satisfied with the status quo answer, you'll never truly understand the truth. But if you have enough curiosity and compassion to dive a little deeper, your eyes and heart will be opened to the reality of this situation. Yeah. One of the most profound experiences of my life, you know, we spent hundreds of hours building these tiny homes and delivering water and food and soap, as I said, and that felt great, right? Like I felt like I was doing something to make a difference. And in the process of delivering and just going through the community and and walking through the the lean-tos and shanties and and skid row, Mm -hmm. um, I ended up having like an hour and a half long conversation with this woman sitting on the, on the curb. And at the end of it, she looked at me with tears in her eyes and gave me the biggest hug in the world. And she said, you have no idea how long it's been since I felt like a person. Yeah. Since somebody looked me in the eye and talked to me like I was a human. Yeah. And that was the greatest gift that, I mean, the soap and the food and the water and everything was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the greatest gift that I could have given her was recognizing her humanity. Yeah. 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 Where she was visible. Yeah. This has been a great discussion, and I wanted to come back around to the um, LOSP, the uh, local overnight oh. parking mm-hmm. permit, just to ask how, how kind of could you give us a picture of kind of what it looks like over there and how it's yeah now? yeah definitely um, I just want to um, give a shout out to our supporters um, we have sheriff uh, one of our community um, sheriff Jamie Fitzsimons is a supporter um, Elizabeth Lawrence our county commissioner is a supporter FERC is a supporter which I'll explain quite quickly is um, family inter 
uh, intercultural resource center. They actually help people um, that are already housed, but on that fine line of economic struggle. So they could trickle down into our population. Uh-huh. Um, we have them as a supporter. We have Summit County Interfaith Council, which is a great organization that really promotes goodness in our community and 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 supports them in a way with action. Um, uh-huh. And then we have Colorado Coalition for Homeless. Um, they are a supporter of the local overnight safety parking permit. And then we have Agape Outper, Out, Outpost Chapel, which is a great supporter of the local overnight safety parking permit. Um, we have um, to break down what the local overnight safety parking permit really is, is that if you work, we are here to support you in our community. If you need that support, if you're living in your car and you work, come to us. We will give you, we're going to walk you through a questionnaire Mm -hmm. so we can gather logistics so we can understand this specific community's logistics and how we can problem solve on a more detailed level. Um, And then we have a uh, community respect agreement that you have to sign and abide by. So those are really the only two documents that you need to go through for the port of entry process. Uh Then you will receive a permit that you will put in your car and allows that location and also our local police um, departments to understand that that you are part of the program and you are allowed to stay here and you should not be bothered. Um, So so do you have designated locations, designated parking lots or camping sites or something like that where these permits are valid? How does that work? So if you have the part, if you, if you, if you're a participant in the local overnight safety parking permit, you have gone through the port of entry process, you have received your permit, you are assigned a location and that's in relativity to your work. Um, how close that is to your work. Um, And then you are legally allowed to sleep there. So you can sleep safely. You can sleep soundly. So you can have a good day and a good attitude and a good mental health state when you wake up the next day for work and the rest of life. Yeah. Um, It's providing stability, which is known as a major factor to helping people uprise from any struggle um, of this type of situation. Um, And it provides you, again, that community of like, and I'm going to say community in two ways. It provides, number one, you now know that the other half of the community is supporting you. You are now, you're welcomed. You're not pushed out like a a disease. Um, And then on the other half, you have that community that you, your peer community that you can relate to. And that I believe in the future is going to shine even more success for these individuals because that, like you said, your story, she was visible. And in that community with each other, they're going to be visible to each other. And that's going to be very powerful. Yeah, I, th- I love that. I think that's so important. I was wondering something, too. When uh, in getting the parking lot um, permits approved, how did you go about that? I'm wondering, working with the city or the county, um, what barriers, obstacles, what, what were some policies that had to change? Or I don't know. What was what, well, well, the f- that hard or how'd that go? Uh, the Family Leadership Institute training program is really what equipped me to kind of understand and navigate the community resources that needed to um, line up in order for progress to happen in this way. So the first uh, people I approached were the civic people. Um, I approached the mayors. I approached the sheriff. So it was a soft introduction. 
Uh Um, I listened very much to the people around me that I knew had um, knowledge and also people that I just in general respected. And then I followed their advice and it led me to small openings of doors that through communication and bond working those doors those little cracks in the doors opened up to a full full door and welcomed me in um and i will say it so it started with listening to people their advice following that advice led me to um working with local churches and a big shout out to lord of the mountains here in summit county they're amazing people doing amazing work mm-hmm. and I get emotional because they're just that great. Um, They were the first ones to open their door. They led me to the Interfaith Council. The Interfaith Council does amazing work for Summit County. Um, And through those partnerships, we're growing other partnerships with other churches. Um, So it's really just, um, it's, it's getting to know people. And um, it really goes with the Goodbridge uh, statement of, we are trying to build bridges and relationships to solve economic struggle. So it's just individual relationships and trying to get people to understand what this looks like, what we're trying to do and to participate, come bring, bring some action. Yeah. It it sounds, I I can't even find the word amazing, wonderful. And I, I just think about the, um, all of the collaboration and the coalitions that you've created and bringing this project has brought the community together and created a whole new understanding and being able to see each other. What I'm hearing you say, it's just, it's just, it sounds wonderful. (laughs) It is. It's, it's, it's emotional. It's wonderful. It's frustrating. It's challenging. It's slow, Mm. but slow. (laughs) Yeah. um, But it's needed and it, it, I really, truly think, you know, in the future, people are going to appreciate it in a whole different level there. I just, I, I envision something so spectacular, um, with people coming together and accepting each other where they are at, not where we want other people to be. Yeah. Well said. So a lot of people recognize problems and they have ideas for solutions and they have a dream to make a difference, but they fail to ever take that first step. What led you to believe that you can actually make a difference for the people that you're trying to serve and thusly proceed through the actions to trying to make that a reality? So, uh, wow, that's a hard one. Um, (laughs) Okay, I guess to be quite honest, I had nothing else better to do, right? I mean, I'm a homeless person. I have nothing else to do. Well, right? you had a job homeless. and you could find I know, but, but right. Don't people look at homeless people like what, look at her just sitting there. there she's homeless. She has nothing to do. Why, why, why does she care about waiting in line to get food stamps for mm-hmm. half her day? She has nothing to do. Um, but that's the perception. Um, and I guess to a certain level that perception even seeped into my mind. Mm-hmm. So, um, having those conversations in the truck with my friend Slim and saying, um, hey, you know, I don't want to become one of those victims and in, 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 in having that self-reflection um, upon myself. So what, what can I do, right? That self-survival mode. But um, I, I guess at a certain point, honestly, I really did. To live the lifestyle that you have to to get through this, 
you go to your camp spot. Well, I'm going because I know I'm so sorry. This is hard to explain. Um, it's okay. You, you, I usually would go at eight o'clock at night, but I know I'm not tired. So I at least got two hours in my car. Just sit. Have you ever sat in your car for two hours? Yeah. Mm, yeah. No. It, it's just like, what do you do? What, what are you going to do? So get my computer out and actually do something. Um, so I guess on, on one end, it was very realistic of like, hey, I had nothing else better to do um, except for go to work. But that still only fills some of my day, not all of it. I didn't have enough money to really go out and do stuff. So again, what else do I have to do? Um so in a lot of ways, it's not so much that you didn't have anything better to do per se, because that that alibis general society away from actually taking action. But the fact that you had the time to dedicate yourself towards your mission made a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. Just knowing that I'm going to be sitting in my car for two hours. How can this be productive instead of... Um, challenging um and that's how i filled that void um, your your approach remind, reminds me very much of what you said about fashion design you took action and and used your creativity and got out of the box and started looking at what was going to work yeah i think it's just and it's still it goes back to that you know I want to experience my gift of life at its highest potential. And in order to do that, I, I, I have to constantly be creative, right? I have to constantly be aware. I have to constantly be checking in with myself um, to see where I'm at. And is this fulfilling? Is this actually a, a part of the blessing that I should be participating in? Do I like this experience? Like, what am I doing with it? And, mm. and for everybody, it's going to be a different answer. But I know for me, I've always had a passion um, for this population. Even in college, I remember I would let people come take showers that were homeless. There was a couple that lived in a tent outside my window, and I lived in Venice Beach in the Jim Morrison building. Uh -huh. And I would stick my head out, and I would say, hey, how are you guys this morning? Would you all like some coffee? Come on up, take a shower. And so, <laughs> I mean, I've always, you know, had, I guess um, – very big open arms for for this population but because i i never really saw them the way other people do uh -huh. but i get it i mean i totally get it um and if anything i maybe understand that even more now than then i understand why people look at this population the way they do um i don't know if that answers you've your been question a, you've but... been able to definitely yeah you've been able to maintain your ability to see humanity. I was just talking to a gentleman yesterday and I told him that society as a whole needs to look, learn how to look with a different organ because when we see with our eyes, yeah. we see differences. And when we see with our hearts, we see souls and we see somebody's humanity and you've been able to, to maintain that and, and recognize that even no, no matter what somebody's circumstances are, they're still a human being. Yeah. And that that's really important. Um, I totally just gapped the question <laughs> that I was about to ask. Um, I, I mean, I can, my mom is such a loving individual. I think she did a great job of rubbing off on me. <laughs> Shout out to mom. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that time does matter. That, that was the thing that I wanted to get back to See, 
the reason that I'm afforded the opportunity to create a world empowered and do what I do is because I am able to live off the income of my rental properties here. <clears throat> so I'm able to dedicate and I have 100% of my time to put my life into my organization. What can we do to empower the people who have nine to five jobs and three kids at home and maybe two hours on their own that they can still go out and make a difference that they can still follow through on their dreams and that their ideas and impassioned beliefs of what they could do in the world are still of value that they can still make a difference. They, they still matter. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly what they can do because it's, you know, individual lives are so different and, and how we are as individuals, we're so different. How we process things, how we um, make action, don't make action, the way we make decisions or, or not, choices, what have you, all so different. So I don't know if there's a, a one answer for all there, but uh, the bottom line is never give up, always have hope always find the route back to love um, par mm. and just participate, participate in life of who you are and pay attention to your passions and just, just, just never give up. Be stubborn. Yeah. I second that. <laughs> well, Rachel, um, Thank you so much for the time you've spent with us today and sharing your story and sharing everything that you're doing. Um, I always like to end with just asking is, you know, thinking about our listeners and uh, all that you've shared, is there anything we haven't asked you or something you'd like listeners to know that hasn't been said? Um, I mean, the conversation has gone on ever since we've had homeless since, you know, day one of humanity. Um, and we'll probably always have it. Um, <clears throat> so the conversation's wide. So as far as like, is there anything we missed? Oh yeah, I'm sure there's plenty that we haven't <laughs> gone over. But yeah. um, as far as um, shouting out to people that are distant from the conversation and the reality of it, um, the words that I would like to offer is this population is very misunderstood, underestimated. This population has much to offer and we need to value sweat equity in people, not just what their resumes say and so on and so forth. Um, and then and in addition to that, that we live a very fragile economic global system type of life. And, and therefore, this puts stress on the fractures that already exist in the elements that cultivate this population. So when we go back to those seed variables, um, globalization, uh, loss of unions, uh, different weather patterns, um, global uh, climate change, um, uh, mental, uh, back in the old days uh, when they had mental institutions, look at that history. That's going to um, surprise you a lot when you dive into this conversation about how a lot of people at some point in time were released out into the streets um, uh, uh, that had mental uh, differences. Um, I, I would just say that if you care, um, keep your mind open, keep your heart open, and be curious. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. Could you share the name of your nonprofit again? And if anything you'd like, um, as far as if someone wanted to look at, look at the nonprofit or reach out to you? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, the nonprofit is being incubated, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not totally a nonprofit yet. Um, it's being incubated by the Interfaith Council um, and, and, and their wisdom. So uh, it, at some point in time, it will be a nonprofit. But right now, it's just really um, focused on making action happen. Okay. Um, uh, in the non, uh, yeah, it's but- called Good Bridge Community. Um, so it's on Facebook, right? You can, yep. You can Mm -hmm. find good bridge on Facebook and, um, it's summit County, Colorado. So good bridge community, summit County, Colorado. You can find us on Facebook. I post things to try to keep that curiosity alive, to try to keep the awareness and, and truth to, uh, in a simple format, you know, just post articles up there. If if people want to read and get educated and get more truthful with that dialogue. Um, otherwise, um, listen to this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Rachel, your existence, I think you are so eloquent and well-spoken and educated and driven. The very fact that you exist and you're living in your car will hopefully shift the perspective of a lot of people uh, around what it's like in that community. Because again, most people think that, well, if they're there by choice and they're suffering from mental health and they have addictions, so they get what they deserve and it's easy for people to walk by them and ignore their humanity. And having this conversation with you today and you expressing your heart and your soul and your passion and compassion and your eloquence and how beautifully articulate you are, I think will shift the paradigm for a lot of people that have the opportunity to listen to this. And I thank you for that. Thank you for being here. It just, we went down and you're very soft. So I think you're wrapping up. I just want much for having me on your show today. I fully appreciate your passion and your work and what you do to provide awareness for people that are trying to make change and empower them with that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here and for taking this time with us today. Thank you. Thank you guys. Have a good day. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Uh Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. I hope there's something in there that inspired you. I hope you're feeling empowered and awed and something spoke to your soul and resonated with your heart. If you're interested in contacting today's guest, please check the show notes, follow them on Facebook or send them an email. As always, please subscribe, rate and review and share this podcast with anybody that you know that might benefit from its message. This has been BC from A World Empowered, wishing you the very best. I love you all. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.